Okay, let me read from Scripture. If you've uh, been following along with our series, you know we're still in Luke 5, and we are bit by bit, line by line, making our way through. So this is Luke 5, and I'm going to read today from verse 6 all the way to the end of verse 7. (laughs) Here's what we read. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partner, partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we just say in this moment now, this is your word. And we receive these words today as not just words on a page, but living words, words that, can, that are alive, but Lord, also words which have the capacity to bring life. And I pray that this morning, by the presence of your Holy Spirit, who I sense even now powerfully with us in this room, and I trust in the homes as people are watching, that that my words might be brought in line with these words, with your words, with your living word, Jesus Christ. And I pray today, Holy Spirit, would you do what you excel in doing? Would you bring glory to Jesus? Would you shine a light on him, on his abundance, on his beauty, on his majesty, his kindness, his mercy, and his greatness? And lead us closer to him, we pray. Amen. Amen. Has anybody ever seen this face before? Anybody confess to know who this man is? I'm not expecting an answer of yes, so don't worry. I'd never seen this face myself until just a little bit earlier in the week. Well, maybe it will help you if I tell you that in 1962, this man wrote a book which was an important book called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. Anybody remember having read that book? No, again, a few nods. I'm I'm not expecting a positive response. Again, I'd never heard of this, but okay, one or two, I think, are now admitting they've read the book. I'd never heard of this book till early this week, but this man, and you don't need to know his name, although I will tell you, his name is Thomas Kuhn. And he was a man who came up with a concept that I think you probably may have heard of. At least some of us will have heard of. And this is the concept of a paradigm shift. Anybody heard of a paradigm shift? Just nod at home if you've heard of a paradigm shift. Okay, some of you I can see are nodding. Uh, I can see in the spirit some of you are nodding. No, uh, Thomas Kuhn came up with the concept of a paradigm shift. And a paradigm shift is uh, a jump forward, a leap forward in the structure of knowledge, in how we understand things. You know, when Pep Guardiola arrived in England those years ago, we would say we had a paradigm shift, a leap forward in how football teams would play. Tony is uh, is nodding along with me. And the way that paradigm shifts occur is there are typically three phases. We begin with uh, normal science, science as it has been understood, and, and there are theories usually which are held which explain data, they explain how the world operates, and they're effective to a degree, but what happens is that as, as life moves forward and as things are observed, 
Anomalies occur, things which don't fit the pattern that would be expected if the theory is true. Does that make sense? And that leads scientific knowledge and scientists into crisis. There's then a decision which has to be made. What do we do with the things which don't fit the pattern, Lauren? What do we do with them? We have to, some, we have to do something with them. And this moment of crisis becomes uh, the birthplace of innovation. And what happens is the next phase is begun, which is extraordinary research. People go beyond the bounds of what's ordinary in order to find a new theory, a new working pattern, which can explain how things should be and how not only the previous data, but the anomalies as well can fit into this pattern. A new theory is a birth. And then the third phase begins, which is the adoption of a new paradigm. Those theories become then integrated into the body of scientific knowledge. Now, in science it is the case, as in religion, that it usually takes the older generation dying out before these, uh, these paradigms are accepted. But accepted they are eventually, and they become then the dominant paradigm. They're then taught to school kids in the textbooks, and so on and so forth. And we settle into a new paradigm. There has been a paradigm shift. Now, the point I want to make here is that I'm not just trying to teach you science here. I'm trying to teach you about change and transformation. The point is that transformation, paradigm shifts, tend to occur in the context of crisis. There's a crisis, there's something that's taken place, some data, new data occurs, and the data doesn't fit any pre-existing pattern. Someone or something or some area of knowledge is in crisis, and because of that, change is afoot. There's the possibility of change in and around us. And over the last few weeks, we've been in a series called Jesus Calling in Luke 5, and we've been looking at a man in crisis. A man who's presented with new data. An encounter with a person, Jesus Christ, and his encounter with this person, Jesus Christ, leads him to a point of crisis. It leads him to a point where he has to assess whether everything he's known and everything he's seen fits anymore. And that man is a man called Simon. You, you know that the story began with him being asked to step a little bit away from the shore. Just a little bit, Peter. Push out a little bit from the shore. And then he's asked, and we looked at this last week, to step out into the deep. And this is a picture I, I suggested, a metaphor for, for Jesus taking him beyond his comfort zone, beyond what he's used to. This is the moment I suggest to you this morning that Simon is plunged into crisis. But what happens today, as we read, is, is that that crisis is confirmed, and here Simon is, is uh, given the opportunity to enter into a paradigm shift. He's asked to launch into a paradigm shift. And I want to suggest over the next three weeks, as we journey through this text, that there are three paradigm shifts that Simon is called to take. And the first of those we're going to look at today. And it is the shift from a, a mindset of scarcity into one of abundance. Here's how it happens. Here's what we read. We've already read it. It bears repeating. When they had done so, that is to say when they'd let down the nets, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. This is the paradigm shift. How do you describe an event like this? What's going on? Well, it's, it's a miraculous moment. It's a momentous moment. It's an extraordinary moment. It's a crisis. 
But it's a crisis which leads to abundance. That's the word I would want to use today. That This is a moment of extravagant and extraordinary abundance. It says that they began to fill not just the one net, but both nets. And even when they had both nets around the catch, the boats began to sink. This is an extraordinary moment of abundance. And remember, the context here just makes no practical sense. Simon's done a night's work. He's fished in the correct place. He's fished. Fished with the correct equipment and caught nothing. And here Jesus tells him to drop the nets, not many times, but just once. And the nets are filled abundantly. It makes no practical sense. What is the lesson Simon's being taught here? The lesson is this, that obedience to Jesus leads to abundance from Jesus. Not just abundance, but abundance from Jesus. That obedience to Jesus leads to abundance from Jesus. But Simon, in offering himself in obedience to Christ, what he receives back is abundance from Christ. Now the wonder of the moment, as I said, is amplified when we begin to understand that Simon is exhausted, as we said last week, emotionally exhausted from a whole night's worth of fishing. And what he was incapable of doing in his own strength over the course of a whole evening, Jesus is capable of doing in one single moment. Simon's context, if you like, Simon's background is scarcity. And in the midst of Simon's scarcity, Jesus releases abundance. One scholar said this, as Jesus promised, they do make their catch. But it is a catch so large that it strains all of their resources. The glut in their nets is almost more than they can handle. I love it. You know, there's, there are problems to scarcity. I mean, I can probably get an amen in the room even for that. Right? You, you've experienced the problems of scarcity. and that We're going into potentially more lockdown tomorrow. I, if I'm not getting an amen today, I'll get one tomorrow. There are problems in scarcity. But there are also problems in abundance. And here these disciples face the problems, the stretch of abundance. And what I want to say today is, is simply this, that we cannot avoid the conclusion. If we've read the Gospels, if we read this particular scripture, we read the life of Jesus and the, and the New Testament authors, we cannot avoid the conclusion that what Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, came to offer to individuals and to peoples and to the whole world was and is abundance. It was abundance. That is what Jesus is offering. We cannot avoid that conclusion. No matter how dour and depressing our churchmanship, no matter how somber our hymns, we cannot avoid, if we're going to read the Bible, we cannot avoid that. We cannot. If we avoid that conclusion, we, we simply haven't read the Bible. We simply have not read about the God who brought Israel out of Egypt and the God who brought Jesus out of the tomb. But so often we miss that. And yet, actually, we see it's the core of Jesus' message. I love how in one of my favorite scriptures, John 10, 10, if I had a tattoo, it would be this one, John 10, 10, the thief, speaking actually primarily of uh, 
Israel's leadership and how they've misled the people away from abundance. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come, Jesus says, that they may have life and have it in its fullness. In its fullness, amen. Whisper it under your masks. In its fullness. Yes. <laughs> Abundant whispers in the room. The word for fullness here. Perisos. I'm just going to quote from my Bible dictionary now. And you think I'm not fun. <laughs> it means beyond. Superabundant in quantity. Superior in quality. By implication, it means excessive, exceeding, abundantly above, more abundantly advantage. It means exceedingly, very highly, beyond measure. It means more. It means superfluous. It means vehement, and it means violent. I love it. It's an abundant word. That's the point. Jesus is offering life, folks. He's offering life. Now, we need to be careful. All right? Let me, just, let me just note the landmine. I know I'm just going to skirt around it, but let me just note it. What he is not saying, what Christ is not saying, what this text is not saying is that if you follow me, only good things, as you define good, will happen to you from here on and here forth. That you will only know health. You will only know wealth. Anybody who's telling you that message is lying to you. That is not in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus promises followers there will be many kinds of trouble, and they will find you. You will have the trouble everyone else experiences, and on, on, on top of that, you'll also have trouble particular to you for following me, because following me will bring you into conflict with the dominant mindset around you. He is not saying you'll never suffer if you're a follower of Jesus, but he is saying is that following Jesus will make a categorical shift. It will make a difference to your life that you should experience, that you will know and you will experience it from the inside out. It will begin to affect and infect, slightly unfortunate word at these times, every part of your life. It will touch your soul. It will manifest itself in your body and in your mind. And I am not saying for a minute that you will not have trouble in your soul, in your body, in your mind. You are human. But in those moments, you will know one who brings abundance to you. Even in your suffering, the suffering in your mind, he will be both your support and your supply. He will be your abundant help. What you're being offered is life. And that life will be characterized by his presence, by his fullness, by his joy, by his peace, by his patience. God, would you give me a patience? by his mercy and grace, by his love. The abundance of life, the fullness of life, John 10.10, 10, that is the life of the kingdom of God. It is the life that Jesus has shared with the Father and the Holy Spirit from all eternity. And what is being offered in human history is that gift to individual people. And that gift to you and that gift to me. Jesus makes a difference. That's what I'm saying to you folks. Because... Jesus is both the one who promises abundance and he himself is the fulfillment of his promise. He is the abundance. And so when you're walking with Jesus, you know abundance. You may not know ease. You may not know health. You may not know wealth, but you know abundance if you have him with you. 
And in that moment, 2,000 and a few more years ago, on the Sea of Galilee, or as Luke has it, Gennesaret, what Simon tastes and touches and sees is that abundance and that crisis moment leads him into a paradigm shift. A Thomas Kuhn moment, if you will. A paradigm shifting moment. And the new data explodes his previous paradigm and places him, as we will see next week, on his knees before Christ. And in that moment, the God who is being revealed to him in the person of Jesus, and he will get there, the God is being revealed in the person of Jesus. He has to face up to the fact that this God is not a God of scarcity, but a God of extraordinary superabundance. He's being beckoned to follow one who will lead him into the fullest possible experience of life imaginable. It will not always be easy, far from it, but it will be full. It will be abundant. It will be extraordinary. It will be adventurous. It will be joyful, even in the suffering. It will burst forth with meaning and purpose and vitality and vibrancy and all the other things that you might want in a life. What he will see will be many miracles of many kinds. He will see mass catering from a meager lunchbox. He will see a family of followers constituted from a group of failures. He will see life bursting forward from death. I had a conversation with somebody yesterday, somebody I'd never met before, a stranger, total stranger. We spoke for probably an hour. He was sharing a lot about his work and about his life. And <clears throat> at the end of that, he, he found out, he'd obviously found out I was a vicar. He said, you're the only vicar I've met. What do you do and why do you do it? What are you about, basically? He basically wrote me a blank check. You know, it's difficult in those moments. Like, oh, how am I actually going to explain I mean, where do you begin? I mean, this is an opportunity to just to share the good news of Jesus with somebody. I said, you know, ultimately, I've come to the conclusion in my life that following Jesus is the best thing anyone can do with their life. I, you can be an accountant. You can be a professional sportsman. You can be a nurse, a doctor. You can be uh, a stay-at-home father or mother, you can, any kind of person from any walk of life. And there isn't a single person for whom beginning a relationship with Jesus won't radically shift everything in your life. You know, and in the church, I've got to say this to us in the room, and maybe some of you at home, we just, honestly, we forget this. We forget what life was like without Jesus. We forget that it just wasn't technicolor. And that when we came to him, Things were different. That we, we had a spring in our step. We had a, just a, a heartbeat just increased that a little bit. And we felt the intimacy and the presence of God in a fresh way. I shared this with this man. He said, that's interesting. <laughs> so what about your wife? Does your family think the same thing? I said, you know what? I, I grew up in the church. This is, it's hard for me to think of a moment when this wasn't true for me. But you know, my wife, she grew up in the church. But for her, for her, there was a moment. There was a moment like that, that light bulb went on, and she experienced the presence and power of God in her body, and the next day, she woke up, and she was different. A light went on. You know, if I'd have been quoting scripture, I'd maybe have looked at John, the prologue of John's gospel, John 1, and I'd, I'd have said something like, you know, in him was life, 
And that life was the light of men. The light has shone in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it or overcome it. it. I could have said to him, look, it was like a light bulb going on for her. It can be like a light bulb going on for you. It's a paradigm shift, my friend. Steve, I could have said. Now, I'm aware. I'm landing now. This is the, we're coming into landing. This is how it applies to you, for those of you marking the sermon. I'm aware that we've been speaking about difficulty such a lot in the last month. And we've been speaking about heavy things like purgation and repentance and uh, all manner of things like this. Difficult, difficult, weighty things. We have spent, have we not, at Trinity Church, a good, godly set of months in the wilderness. Just mentioning those themes and talking about how in these days God is crafting, curating a people after his own heart. And that he does that principally and primarily in wilderness. And it's not over, folks. We're going to bang on about that a little bit more for a little bit more time. (laughs) A season is not over. But I would hate it if in the midst of that we'd sort of left you with the impression. Because we are, particularly me, Amy less than me, that could be a bit dour. A bit intense if we left you with the perspective that that's actually the core of the gospel. Because it's not. The core of the gospel is life and truth and hope and grace and mercy and abundance and power and goodness and salvation. And extraordinary, extraordinary acts of a God who is alive. Yes, there are times in the journey of faith when God draws close to his people to draw them close to him, where we see his judgments on the earth in unique ways, where he is calling a people back to their first love. Yes, but the point of that is to call them back to their first love. That moment, that that moment when we first came alive in him. Oh, when we knew what it was like to be filled with the Spirit, and it, we knew what it was like because we knew yesterday we weren't, and today we were. This is the paradigm shift I think we need to go on. It's a paradigm shift within us. It's a paradigm shift in our hearts, where as the liturgy goes, He confirms and strengthens us in all goodness, and He keeps us in life eternal. His eternal life is. Spirit life is God life, the life that Jesus experienced, that connection with the Father. That's going to be ours. That is ours as followers of Jesus. That's the paradigm shift within us. But there's going to be a paradigm shift around us as well, where we will see things in and around us which previously we would have said we, we just imagined were impossible. In the scarcity mindset, we'd have said, no way. But in an abundance paradigm, we say, well, just maybe with Him it's possible. With Him, of course, it's possible. Because he is the God who burst out of the grave. Can I get an amen? So today I want to sound a note of hope. If if you could leave with anything, it would be hope. It's emblazoned on the side of our building. It'd be nice if you sensed it in the room as well. (laughs) Right? Friend, do you see that this is what he's going after in you? Whatever the challenge you are facing right now, do you know this is what he's doing? 
whatever circumstance you are experiencing, may even be elevated in attention, may even be elevated anxiety. Know this, the Spirit of God is preparing you for abundance. He is, by his holy hand, preparing in you a place to respond to him in first love. But what about, and I'll end with this, what about if this is not only a picture of what God is doing, or what God said then, but this is a prophetic picture, not just for persons, but for nations. What if this is something he wants to do more broadly? What if Simon's moment with Jesus is a powerful picture? What if Jesus is calling us into the deeper water because he wants to release abundance upon his church? What if the days, the best days of the church are not behind her? What if there are peoples, what if there are fish yet to be caught that if only God's people would engage in this paradigm shift, moving from a mindset of scarcity to one of abundance, if we would only bother to put the nets over the side, even in a moment of crisis, that God would fill them. I am the Lord, is it Psalm 81? I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, open wide your mouth and I will fill it. But the next line says to Israel, but you would not open your mouth. You wouldn't do it. What if we say, yes, Lord, we will open our mouths to you and you will fill them. How would it change the way we went about everyday life? Wouldn't it be different with that expectation of hope? When we walk down the street, we say, well, I'm actually walking here with the Jesus who is the God of abundance. Yes, we may experience life at the moment as an experience of scarcity. But what if all of a sudden we were to be inundated with new life? New life within us, new life around us, fish being thrown overboard. So much so that we had to come up with new strategies, we had to call in new partners in order to deal with the abundance that God has for his people. Is that too much for God? No, nothing is impossible for God. And my prayer for us in these days is that we would, with Simon, undergo three paradigm shifts. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to tell you the second and the third because I want you to come back next week. <laughs> but the first is a move from a, par- a paradigm of scarcity into one of abundance. Let this be a time for a paradigm shift as a church, individuals, as persons, and as peoples, into greater hope and expectation of a God who is a God of abundance. Are you ready? Bring it on. Bring it on. Let's stand.